Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. We're in a series called The Life of David, and we're learning about this character, David. In fact, we sang about him in one of our songs, uh, calling on the God of David, who made this shepherd boy courageous. And we're learning about who this character David is and what made him so great, what made him the the greatest king in Israel's history. He was one of the best worship leaders and songwriters of all time. He's a man after God's heart, and he is the line that brought Jesus into the world. And we're sort of learning the keys of his life that allowed for him to sort of check all of these big boxes. And I think for us, we want to be the same, uh, sort of following that same path. We want to be people that give it our best in whatever God has called us to do. We want to be people that worship God with our lives. We want to be per- people that our, our heart's desire is to love like God and to be more like God. And we want to be people that bring Jesus into our world. And so David is a great example for us on how to live and how to follow God. And we've learned some keys from David's life. We talked about how to be alone with God, how, to, how, how it can be just you and God and experience the things that God has for you. We, we talked about faith over impossible things. We talked about patience on the promises of God. We talked about investing in whoever's around you. And we talked about waiting on God. And tonight we're going to learn how to find strength when we're weak. How to find strength when we're weak. Um, I, we're going to begin in verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 30. Now we're going to move into 2 Samuel next week. And we've sort of jumped through some of the keys of David's life. Um, in, since we were in chapter 24 last week, and now we're in 30 tonight, and a few things have happened. Primarily, if you remember last week, we saw that David confronted Saul. Saul wandered into his cave because he had to use the facilities, and David could have killed him, and he didn't. He spared him, and then he sort of talked to Saul like, hey, I could have killed you, and I didn't. I spared you because I'm trusting in the promises of God, and I'm being patient, and I'm learning to wait on God, and all of that. And then since then, well, Saul, like, apologize, I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have done that. And then in the chapters that we skip, Saul hunts David down again. So it really didn't stick. Saul's like, just kidding. Like my fingers were crossed. I was lying. And so he goes and he tries to kill David again. Uh, David escapes. But now David, out of fear because he's not welcomed in Israel, he tries to join forces with the Philistines for the second time. David's all over the place. Remember, he goes to the Philistines the first time, and they're like, isn't that David who, like, has killed 10,000s of us? That's David. And then he's like, no, it's not. And he pretends to be crazy, and he starts drooling on his beard. And the king's like, I've got enough crazy people around here. Get him out of here. So David leaves. Now he gets his whole group of guys. They go back to the Philistines, and they begin to work with the Philistines. It's kind of a funny story. Uh, should I go into it, or should we move on? All right, we'll go into it just quickly, all right? You, but you asked for it. So David is like hanging out with the Philistines, and then they send him out to battle, and they don't really tell the Philistines where they're going, but they're going and fighting other Philistines, other like Amalekites, other people like that, and then they come back, and they're like, how was battle? And they're like, it was great. And they're like, who would you fight? And they're like, you know, just people. They were literally going, it's kind of crazy, right? So then finally, they're like, we can't do this anymore. David, you got to get out of here. You're not welcome with the Philistines anymore. So now David is, is sort of at a loss. He goes and he's not welcome in Israel. 
He's not welcomed in the land of the Philistines. And so he goes to a place called Ziklag, and they sort of settle into Ziklag. And this is where our story picks up. David and his crew and their families have settled in Ziklag. And then David is sort of making, uh, he's taking his group, and they've been going out fighting battles really for Israel, and then they're coming back to Ziklag. All right, you with me? That was kind of a lot, but here we are. Verse 1, it says, David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it. Everyone say Ziklag. I had to say it so many times, I felt like we should all say it. So there we, there we go. And burned it. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured. I can't pronounce the first one. And Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed, listen, because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and his daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. And Abathar brought, to him, brought it to him. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he said. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David and 600 men with him came to Bessar Valley, where some stayed behind. 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley. But David and the other 400 continued in the pursuit. Stop there. Title of this message, No Strength Left. Now, once again, David, he tried joining the Philistines. He wasn't welcome in Israel. Um, And because of that, we see in this moment that he really isn't entirely trusting in God. God, once again, is telling him to be patient. You're going to be the king of Israel. And David consistently is sort of going back and forth between doing that, waiting on God, trusting in God, and then getting scared and going and doing things his own way. You ever been there? Like, yes, all right, I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to do things right. And then you're afraid or you're overwhelmed or you're tired and you're like, ah, not today, tomorrow. I'm going to do things God's way tomorrow. I'm going to do what's convenient and easy today. And so David's sort of in this wrestling match with himself doing that. And now he returns home to find his family gone and his property destroyed. This is a great story that shows us what happens when we're weak and how to find strength once again. What do we do when we're weak and how do we find strength once again? A couple thoughts tonight. Point number one is this, sin gets strong when we are weak. Sin in our life gets strong when we are weak. The Amalekites, who were the characters that came and attacked the people of Israel, they are a reoccurring problem for the nation of Israel. And they're an interesting group in the Bible. They are over and over again a picture for us, a sort of illustration for us of our own personal sin. We all have personal struggles, temptations, and sins that we deal with. Every one of us. Some of us have similar struggles to the people that are around us, right? Some of us, we we deal with the same things. And this can be bad because we can sort of egg each other on towards sin. We can find that sometimes when when we surround ourselves with people that maybe struggle with similar things as us, we don't actually strengthen one another, but we all struggle together and we go sort of in a downward slope together. 
Some of us, on the other hand, feel like we struggle alone. We don't have that problem. We don't have our friends egging us on into worse sin. We feel like we're the only one that's dealing with this. The reality is we all struggle. We all have sins. We all make mistakes. We all have things that were bent towards temptations that we have. And so there's some things that we need to know about sin. The first thing is that sin gets strong when we're weak. Now, the first time you meet the Amalekites is when the Israelites are coming out of Egypt. So if you go all the way back to the book of Exodus and the Israelites are being led out of captivity from Egypt into the promised land, you meet the Amalekites. This is what's said about the Amalekites when you first meet them. God is speaking. He says, remember what the Amalekites did to you on the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind because they had no fear of God. So the Amalekites show up when the Israelites are weak and they attack the weakest of the people. Imagine a million plus people walking out of Egypt and towards the back, you would probably have children, you would probably have the elderly, you'd probably have the sick, you would have all of these people in the back of the group as they, uh, as they move towards Israel. And the Amalekites, they attack Israel when the whole group is weak and they attack the people that are the weakest. Because sin and temptation prey on your weakness and your disordered desires. When we're weak, that's usually when sin attacks. And usually when sin attacks, it attacks in the area that we're most vulnerable. Where sort of we already have desires towards. I remember one time when I was in high school, I went to a music festival called Warp Tour. You guys ever heard of Warp Tour? Raise your hand if you've heard of Warp Tour. All the leaders, none of the students. Okay, Warp Tour was basically, uh, it was like sponsored by Vans and other surf and skate companies, and it was like punk music. It was like the original hardcore crazy music festival. I was in high school. I was going to Warp Tour. This was kind of like the resurgence of Warp Tour. It happened really big, like in the 90s, and then the mid 2000s. Like, let's run it back. So I went when they ran it back. Anyways, my grandpa was the the CFO of Hurley at the time, which is a surf brand, and he got me free tickets to go to Warp Tour, which is a pretty sweet deal. I'm not gonna lie. So me and my buddies, we went to Warp Tour. It was in Orlando. We showed up. It's the middle of summer in Florida, in Orlando. All right. So bunch of sweaty punk rockers listening to loud, angry music and moshing. And I'm one of them. Just, anyways. Uh, so we go there. It's a good time. We're listening to music. It's whatever. Well, after a while, we get hot and very thirsty. And like all music festivals, they don't let you bring anything inside except for your wallet. And so we go inside and uh, we're, we're, we're hot, we're thirsty, and we go up and listen to me. The water bottles, Dasani water bottles, were $11 a piece. Me and my friends are in high school, like, literally, like, putting our money together to buy one water bottle. Like, I don't have 11 bucks to spend on a water. I, I don't have 11 bucks now to spend on a water, much less when I'm in high school. But we're sitting there, and the reason they can charge $11 for water is because they don't let you bring your own water in there. It's Florida in the summertime, and they know you're going to get thirsty. So why not charge 11 bucks? These suckers will pay for it. They want to get back into the mosh pit as quickly as they can. So they'll pay 11 bucks and go back into the wall. The reason I'm telling you that is because that's oftentimes how temptation works. 
There's the things that we're bent towards or we feel like we need, we have a desire for, and that is the very thing, especially when we're weak and tired and thirsty and exhausted. Sin shows up and says, hey, it's only going to cost you 11 bucks. And then in that moment, we think, okay, that's exactly what I need. And sin always gets strong in our life when we find ourselves weak. The second thing about sin is not only does it show up when you're weak, but sin takes you captive. Now, again, the Amalekites over and over again are a picture of personal sin. The Amalekites are a picture of personal sin. And what do they do? The Amalekites attack the weak, and then they capture the women and the children. Whenever we compromise in our relationship with God, we think it's an isolated incident. Whenever we compromise, when we think, I'm not going to do things God's way, I'm going to do things my way, we think it's an isolated incident. It stands by itself. I did it one time, I move on, and we leave it there. But that is not how sin works. Sin is a master that wants to rule over you. And the more you give in to sin, the more difficult it becomes to resist. Pretty soon, you become a slave to sin. And sin as a master takes you farther than you want to go and keeps you longer than you want to stay. It oversells and it underdelivers. It says sin is going to make you happy. It's going to make you popular. It's going to make you what, exactly what you're looking for. It oversells and it underdelivers. And eventually you're a slave to sin. You're stuck and you're regretting and wishing that you could get out of the situation that you found yourself in. And sin over and over promises and underdelivers. Sin ultimately wants to take you captive. It wants to rule over your life so that you can't get out. The third thing about sin is not only does it take you captive, but sin causes conflict. Sin causes conflict. In this story, we again, the Amalekites is a picture of personal sin. The people are afraid, they're tired, and they're hurting, and so what do they do? They take it out on David. His friends blame him for them losing their families. These are the people that David sort of saved. Remember, we learned a couple weeks ago that they were all the the depressed, the down and out, the in debt. They show up to David. David repurposes them, gives them a calling, gives them a new identity. And now all of a sudden, difficulty comes and they're like, David, it's all your fault. We're going to kill you. And sin, listen to me, sin, we think it's an isolated incident. We also think that it only affects us. But sin causes conflict with the people that we care about. Sin isn't something you do on an island. It's not something that only impacts you. You think your decision, it's like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to look at that. I'm going to go here. I'm going to act like this. And we think it's only me that's impacted. The reality is that sin impacts even the people we care about most. It drives a wedge in relationships because sin is all about self. Listen to me. You can't have healthy relationships when you're self-consumed. It's impossible. You can't have healthy relationships when life is all about you and when you are a slave to sin, you're simply feeding yourself. Then also we have to recognize that friends that lead you to sin will only cause more damage and long-term conflict. I think sometimes we find ourselves in a situation where maybe our friends are, are, 
I don't know how people talk to each other, but I, I don't imagine they're like, hey, come over here and sin with me. Um, but I do imagine that there, 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 there's times and, and moments where we're tempted or, or invited to do something that we know because we have the Holy Spirit in us that's saying, I, I shouldn't be doing that. And what, one of the difficult things in relationships is learning how to say no to things like that because we don't want to look like a, whatever we don't want to look like. We, we don't want to be that guy that, that says, no, I don't want to, or, or we shouldn't do that, or maybe you shouldn't say that about her, or whatever it is. And we think that in order to avoid conflict, we're just going to give in. And I tell you that it causes more conflict down the road. More damage is done when we invest in self and in sin. And strength, or excuse me, sin gets strong when we are weak. So... How do we combat it? Well, David gives us a really good example of how to combat sin. Remember, again, the Amalekites are a picture of personal sin. They show up. They attack. They attack the weak. They take them captive. They cause conflict. And so what does David do? Well, point number two, strength is found in the Lord. Strength is found in the Lord. Look again at verse 6. It says, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. The New King James says it like this, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. The word strength here, it means to use one's strength. Or it means to withstand to use one's strength or to withstand. The idea is to not allow what you've gone through to paralyze you, but to find strength to keep going. Here David is, overwhelmed. People are mad at him. There's conflict. People are taken captive. They, they, they've attacked the weak. He doesn't know what to do. He, he, he's, he's distressed. He's cried so long that he has no more tears to cry. He's just done. What does he do? He finds strength in God. So how do we find strength in God? How do we find strength in God to overcome the sins that so easily trip us up and slow us down? Well, the first thing is really what we talked about last week. It's to wait on God and to wait for God. To wait on God and to wait for God. We talked about waiting on God is by prayer and being in God's presence. That's waiting on God. And then waiting for God is looking for what God's doing and joining in on that. Waiting for God is seeing areas, okay, how can I participate in what God's doing and stepping into that? The second way we find strength is by rehearsing the promises of God and the stories of God. We find strength by rehearsing the promises of God and the stories of God. What do I mean by that? Well, what does God's word say about fighting temptation and finding strength in God? What do the promises of God say about how we fight temptation? Well, the Bible says that no temptation has overtaken you except for that which is common for man. In other words, other people have found victory over it, and so can you. What does the Bible say about temptation? The Bible says that there's no temptation given to you except for that which you can bear. In other words, you think you're overwhelmed, but actually through strength in God, you can overcome it. The temptation doesn't have to define you. You don't have to live in it. You don't have to struggle. You can find victory over it. But we also need to be encouraged by the stories of God. 
This, I think this is key for us and maybe something we don't talk about enough. That the promises of God, the verses of God that say this is what God's going to do, we need to hold on to. But the stories of God, those are what God has already done, both in God's word and in your life. In other words, let me say it like this. The faithfulness of God in the past gives us more faith for the future. So if God's been faithful, even in a story like this, Stories like this are awesome because we'll read about it in a moment, but we see God's faithfulness on display. That should inspire you in your own life to say God's going to be faithful in my life. The, the stories of the Bible are to help us understand who God is, to see God's working throughout human history, but it's also designed for us to cling on to and say, if God did it for them, he can do it for me. If God was faithful in David's life, then God will be faithful in my life. So we got to rehearse those stories we got to tell ourselves, this is who God is, this is what he does, and this is how I can find strength in him. And then the third thing, the way we find strength is we remember God's love. Remember God's love. One of the reasons we give into temptation and sin is because we think that it will make us happy and that it's what we need. That's one of the reasons. We think, okay, I'm going to give into this because this will make me happy. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm longing for. But we need to remember, listen to me, that God loves us, and actually has what is best for us. God loves you, and his plan for you is the best. And so when you're struggling with sin, when you're saying, I want to give into this, or I want to experience this, or I want to go here, the reason we do that is we think that our way is better than God's way. And so by remembering God's love, we say, actually, do you know what? I'm going to remind myself that God loves me so much more than even I love myself. And so I'm going to trust God's ways over my own ways and recognize that his ways are actually going to produce in me the best things for me. And when we can remember God's heart towards us, we will have a desire to live pleasing to him. And then the final thing, and then we'll wrap it up. The final thing is this, make God yours. You want to find strength in God, you have to make God yours. Notice it says that he strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. That language is so important. He wasn't someone else's God only. And he wasn't relying on someone else to give him strength. He strengthened himself in the Lord because here he was in a moment where all of a sudden all of these guys that had his back, all of these guys that worked with him, all of these guys that they were together through difficult, they were living in caves together. And now all of, a, all of a sudden because of difficulty, they've all decided, you know what, we're killing David, it's all his fault. And so he can't get encouragement from the people around him. Even though they're all going through the exact same thing, David can't find strength from his friends. They don't have the answer. So what does he do? He goes, he gets by himself with God, and he says, it's you and me, God. I'm going to find strength in you. You have what I need. You're the source that I need. You're the supply that I need. I'm going to go to you. And David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. The question, do you have a relationship with God like that? Do you have a relationship with God where he's enough for you? Where you don't need all of the extra stuff? You don't need all the friends to encourage you. You don't need all the things around you to build up your spirits or to make you decide to do what's right. But you have enough of a relationship with God where you can say, God, you and me, I can find strength. Is God yours? And can you find strength personally in him? He knew God for himself and he went to God by himself. 
All right, let's look at the close of the story. Worship team, you guys can come up here. I just want you, want you guys to see what happened. So David strengthens himself in the Lord. And then jump down to verse 17. He finds the Amalekites. And it says, David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day. And none of them got away except for 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Holy cow, this is such a good part. David recovered everything that was taken. This is the gospel. Everything that sin wants to take from you, Jesus wants to take back for you. Everything that causes compromise and failure and when you're feeling captive or overwhelmed or I can't do it, I'm stuck. Jesus, the promise of the gospel is that he can win it back. He, he can find victory for you once again. And everything that the Amalekites has taken, you can find strength in Jesus and you can find victory in Jesus again. He strengthens himself in the Lord. That's what we talked about, that God finds strength, in, that, that David found strength in God even when he was afraid. Let's, let's finish the rest of the story. I'll show it to you. It says this, David brought everything back. <laughs> he took all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, this is David's plunder. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him and who were left behind at the Besor Valley. Basically, there was 200 people that were afraid. There was 200 people that said, I can't, I can't go. <laughs> there was 200 people that were like, ah, David, you've got this. I can't go. But they came out to meet David and the men with him. And as David and his men approached, listen, he asked them how they were. But all the evil men and the troublemakers among David's followers said, because they didn't go with us, we will not share with them the plunder we recovered. However, each man may take his wife and children and go. And David replied, this is so cool. No, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and delivered into our hands the raiding party that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to the battle. All will share alike. David made this a statue and an ordinance from Israel from that day to this. In other words, we have this moment where David goes to recover all that the Amalekites had, had stolen from them. And then there's 200 people that were too afraid to keep going. I, I, can't, I can't go into that. So David goes, and the, the 600 others go, and they have victory, and they come back, and their guys are like, man, the 200 people that stayed, they should just scram. They're too afraid. God doesn't want anything to do with them anymore. And David's like, that's not how it's going to go down. The people that stayed actually are going to share in the spoils equally as those who went. And I think this is a sort of side message. I kind of prayed about teaching this instead, and, and I just felt like the sin part was what we needed to talk about. But for some of us, I think this is a, a good application. That I think many of us, we have a picture of what it looks like to be used by God. And it's like, it looks like this. It means they're going to be on a stage, or people listen to them, or they're leading people to Jesus, or whatever it is. And like, those are the ones that get used by God. And then you have the story of these people that stay behind and they get the equal fruit, the equal rewards of, of those that go and fight. And I just want to encourage, maybe some of you aren't the ones that are going to go out and be the ones up in front of people, but you stay back and pray for those. You're the ones that sort of encourage behind the scenes and are faithful when nobody's watching. And let me tell you that you have equal reward than those that 
maybe stand in front of people or get all the accolades or whatever. That there's equal reward when you're just faithful behind the scenes as those that are faithful maybe in front of people. Can I encourage you tonight, wherever you find yourself, that you can find victory in Jesus. You can find strength in him. Everything that sin has stolen from you, Jesus can win back. Maybe you feel guilt or shame or you feel like I'll never be used by God. Can I tell you that Jesus can win back everything that sin has taken away? And you can find freedom once again. You can find usefulness once again. You can find the, the, the no condemnation. You can find that light burden that Jesus gives us. Keep being faithful. Keep trusting in him. And regardless of what you walk through or what tempts you, continue to rely on Jesus for strength.